0: Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. We are starting a brand new little mini series today called, Did God Really Say That? And um, and this is going to be one of those series that is short, hopefully impactful. You might say, well, where did this series idea come from? from?" And it came from you guys. A couple of months back, we asked if you would submit some of those hot topics that you would like us to address from the Bible, the things that are being kind of debated and sometimes argued about and can be very divisive if we're not careful. And so I thought before we got the series started, I just want to lay down some kind of house rules. Um, and, and let's talk about what the series, how we should approach the series. Um, it's not meant to be divisive. Sometimes when you look at truth, it can hurt a little bit. It's not meant to be condemning in any way, and it's certainly not meant to be political. It has nothing to do with political parties, these kind of topics we're talking about. Um, but they're real, and there are questions that that I think all of us want to know. How do we respond to these kind of things when they're brought up? What should be the response of those who claim the name of Jesus, because it ought to look different than maybe the response of the world. And so what Pastor Kevin and I are going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is just trying to set our, our personal opinions aside, our personal biases aside, which is, which is hard, right? We all have them. And we're just going to turn to God's Word, the Bible, and we're going to let God's Word speak for itself. It's, it's, these are tough topics, and these are things that a lot of times it'd be easier not to talk about, but we need to talk about it because these are things that impact all of us. So here's what I'm going to ask all of us to do over the next two weeks. We should do this anyways every week, but here's what I'd like you to do, especially these next two weeks, is just maybe pray a prayer, something like this. Say, God, help me to open my heart and open my mind and to humbly Listen to what you've got to say, and God, in any place that that my opinions and my beliefs and what I, what I hold on to, if, if at any point that conflicts to what's in this book, that I will humbly admit that I'm wrong and you're right, and I'm going to change my point of view. Because God's word is absolute truth. God's word is infallible. It's inspired. It's authoritative, and it speaks to all areas of our lives. Today's topic is, is a little uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's the topic of abortion. Now, it may surprise you, but the Bible actually doesn't really address abortion. However, the Bible does address the larger scale thing. Sometimes the small nuances, the Bible doesn't directly talk about, but it gives us overarching principles. This is a very easy one to fit into those principles. And so we're gonna talk about it. You might say, well, why are we gonna talk about it? Because we need to, it's, it's, it's real, and it's, and it's really an epidemic uh, in our world. But I wanna to talk to you about just the United States of America for just a second, because I'm gonna give you some statistics to help us try to understand why we're talking about this. Statistically, they say that one out of every four women at some point, 25% of women will have an abortion. One out of every five Pregnancies in the United States of America will end in abortion. Only 1.5% of abortions are in the c- cases of incest, incest or rape. The remaining 98.5% are for other reasons. In the United States of America, we'll have 900,000 babies aborted this year. 900, now, that's actually a number that's trending down. Thank God for that. But that's still a lot. And I know when you talk big numbers, sometimes it's hard to really grasp when we, when we say 900,000. When we don't have a face, sometimes it's easy to just dismiss those as big numbers. But let me give you an idea what that looks like, like 900,000 people. If you were to take every American throughout history of our country in every war that has ever been fought with the exception of the Civil War. So I, we would include war the, the war 1812, we can include the World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War, all of the U.S. casualties, and take all of the wars that we've ever fought with the exception of the Civil War, and take that number that is less than 900,000, the number of babies that'll be aborted this year alone. In the last 46 years since 1973, which, which after Roe versus Wade made abortion legal in the United States, To 2019, 65 million children were aborted. Again, that's a big number. It's easy to go, well, that's just a big number. But think about that, 65 million people. How, How do you quantify that? How do you even get your mind around that? Well, let me give you hopefully some help. 65 million would be equivalent to the entire population of the country of France, if every man, woman, boy, and girl in France were to die right now, that's how many people are 65 million people. In fact, 65 million people are, are is, a, is a higher number than 220 different countries in the world, including Italy, South Africa, South Korea, Poland, and Colombia, Two, 65 million people, is more than the total population of Greece, Portugal, Sweden, Hungary, Austria, and Israel combined. Let that sink in for a second. 65 million people is more than the combined total of the countries of Greece, Portugal, Sweden, Hungary, Austria, and Israel combined. If those numbers truly represent a life, which I believe they do, and I believe the Bible says that they do, then we would all have to admit that that is a catastrophic genocide against an entire population of people. And I think we need to do something about it. Hitler, in the, his reign of evil, of, of, of Nazism, during that time, exterminated over 6 million Jews and a couple other million people. Some believe it's about 11 million people throughout history, uh, through Hitler's reign. And yet we've had 65 million children aborted. And I think all of us, if we look back, we look at the history of the Holocaust, we would all go, why did people let that happen? How could they just stand around and let that happen? And yet over the last 46 years, I'm afraid we've done the same thing. So that's why we need to talk about it. So I'm going to give you today a couple principles. And then we're going to come back because again, this is not meant to make anybody feel bad or condemn anybody, or to make or to pronounce judgment on anyone. In fact, you're going to see. I'm hopefully it's just the opposite that there will be true freedom, because if statistics are true, a lot of people are affected by this, and it's not only the women; it's the men as well who are complicit in some way. And so we need to talk about it. So let's just look at the first principle, and here's what this is: where, why I, you can as a believer, say that no, I believe abortion is wrong. Here's the first principle, God is the giver of life and all human beings are created in his image. God is the giver of life and all human beings are created in his image. In Genesis chapter one, which is the creation story, what you see is that the Trinity is having a conversation, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Here's what it says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's obvious God created us. He gave us life. We're created in the image of God, and you might notice a couple other things. He created them male and female. There's a true distinction. A message for another day. He told us that we have dominion over the animals. We're truly unique. I mean, we love our fur babies, but they're not the same as people. They're not. We have free will. We're created in the image of God. Um God loves all of his creation, including animals. The Bible tells us that God is aware of even when a sparrow falls to the ground, and yet we're more important than they are because we're created in the image of God. God is the giver of life, and all human beings are created in his image. In Job chapter 33, Job said this, For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty give me life. Isaiah said, This is what the Lord said, your Redeemer, who forms you in the womb. I'll come back to that. I am the Lord, the maker of all things who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. God is the giver of life. Ladies in here, mothers in here, you may have given birth to a human being, but you did not give that human being life. Only God can do that. And I don't think most people would disagree with that. I don't think anybody would push back and say, no, I don't think God gave life. I think most of us would agree with that. But the real debate, I think, in our country isn't even that. The real debate is, if that's a life, when does that life actually begin? Like, that, not that the real debate here, isn't it? Because I don't think anybody would would have a problem saying that life outside the womb is, is a human being. But the question is, when does that life actually begin? Does it begin at conception? Does it begin when it when the baby comes out of the womb? Does it begin when there's... Uh, the lungs are formed, or when the heart beats, or, or or there's brain function, When when does that life begin, right? That's the argument. That's the debate, and I think the Bible answers that in a way that may surprise most of us, that the Bible would actually say our life begins prior to all of that. Prior to conception, God knew us, and God called us, and God loved us. Long before sperm met egg, Long before our parents even had an idea, we were twinkling in their eye, that God knew us, and that's why I think it's so important that we we can go to Scripture and look at what the Bible says. Psalm 139, you have made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me when? Before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God knew us. God created us in his image. Jeremiah says, I knew you. This is God speaking. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Before God laid the foundations of the world, he knew you and a plan and a purpose for your life. As a believer, I believe this should settle it in our lives and in our hearts where we stand on this issue of sanctity of human life. In Luke chapter one, let's look at New Testament. You might recall the story as Jesus is getting ready to come to this earth in the form of a baby. Before that, his uh, uh, forerunner was named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was was called to proclaim um, who Jesus was. And, and so John the Baptist, before he was born, his parents Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were unable to have children. The angel Gabriel visits and has a conversation with Zechariah. And here's what it says, but the angel said, don't be afraid, afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Uh, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Watch this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Right after that, um, Jesus' earthly mother, Mary, Gabriel, the angel, visits her and says, you've been chosen by God to be the birth mother of the Lord Jesus. And um, he explains that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. She'll conceive a child, and he will be named Jesus. He'll take away the sins of the world. And so she has some questions, but eventually she's like, I'm all in. She knows that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, so she goes and visits And here's what it says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, that's John the Baptist, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. This isn't just uh, a baby kicking. He jumped for joy. There was emotion. And it says, even before he was born, filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that John the Baptist in the womb Filled with the Holy Spirit would have not only joy, but peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. People, this is a this is a really important topic. And I, I think that a lot of times we just have never really stopped to think about how this lays out and why we need to have certain stances. So let me give you the second principle that I think is really important as followers of Jesus to understand. And here's the second principle that God teaches us in his word that it's a sin to take an innocent life. It's a sin to take an innocent life. So the first principle is that God is a giver of life are all created in his image. The second principle, it's a sin to take an innocent life. And I'm glad, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that, that, that it's true. That's why we have laws in place to protect us from someone coming up to us and indiscriminately killing us, Right? Somebody walks up and says, I don't like the color of your eyes. I don't like the color of your shoes. I don't like the the clothes you're wearing. I don't like something about you. Or maybe for no reason at all, they kill us. We, We have laws against that to protect us. Genesis chapter nine, verse six, this is before the law was given.
1: It says, if anyone
0: takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. And you go, that sounds like a contradiction. If someone kills something, takes an innocent life, then their life's gonna be taken with human hands. Wouldn't that be the same thing? Isn't that a double standard? No, the first person that we're assuming has taken the life of an innocent person. The second one takes their life, is, is, the, uh, is the penalty for that. And uh, it's, it's capital punishment, basically what the Bible's teaching there. So it says that if anyone takes human life, their life will be taken. Then when we see the law in Genesis chapter 23, the law is already given now. It says, never sentence an innocent or blameless person to death, for I never declare a guilty person to be innocent. In Proverbs chapter six, it says, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, I wanna focus on that one, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. But it has to kill the innocent. God detests that, he hates that. And I would argue that there are no more innocent people than those people that are in the womb. I mean, how much more innocent can you be? But here's the deal, okay? It's not enough as as followers of Jesus for us to all just agree. Oh yeah, abortion is wrong. And, and, and life is important, and God's a giver of life. It, it, it's, it's not enough for us to just degree, agree on these things. We must act. We have to do something. We can't just not do something. We're compelled to action. What does that mean? Now, action looks different to a lot of people, but I'm gonna give you some things possibly that we can do to get involved. Education. We can help educate people about some of these things that we're talking about. Speaking up on behalf of those children who can't speak for themselves. Getting involved in pro-life efforts. Voting for pro-life candidates. And again, I said, this isn't political, it's not. It's just that this is an important issue. We are, in this country, have this wonderful thing. We, We can vote. Praying. Praying for those who maybe are on the verge of having an abortion, praying that their eyes would be open, praying for our country, praying for our president, praying for anybody involved in this whole mess? How about adopting or volunteering? You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, you know, you know, abortion is necessary because all these children are to go unwanted, but there are a lot of people who are, would love to have a child through adoption. And we as a church, I'm so glad we get involved in a lot of these type of things. We we support the Foothills Crisis Pregnancy Care Center. Um, we have our Fostering Faithfully group, which actually started grassroots from Foothills and who does – foster care and adoption. Many, many families in our church uh, adopt. Uh, we have people who volunteer to, to help at different places and do things. And, and it's just something we should all be a part of to some, at some level. And again, everybody's going to be at a, at a, that looks different for every person, but here's what the scripture says in Proverbs 24. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people for their actions uh, as their actions deserve. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed. I know for a lot of people, um, you know, before I was a follower of Jesus, I was just a product of the world. I believed what the world told me. And I didn't question much. I remember I was in high school and I was taught that evolution was, tri- uh, was truth, it was science. And, and I just, that made sense. Okay, if that's what the science book says, is that what, that's what, the, that's what I'm reading? Then I, I believe that. But later, as I became a follower of Jesus, I thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But when I heard the creation story, I was was like, that makes more sense to me. And I will choose to believe what I believe is the authority on all things life. I was also told, and many of you have been told the same thing, that if a baby's not out of the womb, it's it's not a baby. It's not a life. It's a blob of cells. It's just it's it's just nothing. And it made sense to me. So I thought, well, abortion sounds like a, you know, a, a smart thing. And in, in the eyes of the world, it's it seems logical, right? But we've been called out of the world even though we're in the world. Like our thinking should be different. And what we always have to come back to is God's word. And that's why I was saying earlier that when when my personal opinions or what I've been I, I've been duped to believe. If it comes into conflict with, with God's word, then as a follower of Jesus, it's I'm wrong and God's right. I've just got to repent of my thinking and say, God, I'm sorry that I, that I thought I knew what truth was, but you exposed me to truth. And now it's up to me to change my view because you're right, you're God, and I'm not. It's hard for a lot of us to do to approach that in such humility, but that's what we have to do whenever our whatever thinking Whatever thinking conflicts with God's truth, we have to yield to God's truth. Many of us have believed the lies that we've been told throughout the course of our lives because we've never put it up to, you know, like under a magnifying glass of the, under the word of God. And so we believe these things. And then many, many women, and again, 25% of women have had an abortion. So so that's a lot of people. And, and I have to believe that that's largely because Maybe someone walked into like a Planned Parenthood somewhere and they were told, that's just a blob of cells, and they're not going to let you hear, see the ultrasound and see a baby's heartbeat. They're not going to let you do that because then you're going to figure out, hey, that's a human being. So it's a lot easier to say, let's just, you know, let's just take care of this a different way. And all I'm going to tell you is follow the money. Follow the money. Because that's why the majority of, of places like Planned Parenthood want you to have an abortion. Because there's a lot of money to be made. But when we're exposed to the truth of God, it challenges us. And it challenges maybe a lot of things that we have believed or we'd like to believe. And, And again, I believe that a lot of that's because we've been kind of almost brainwashed by society and culture and what we're supposed to believe. So let me give you the last truth from God's word, and that is this, there's forgiveness and healing in Jesus. Aren't you glad? There's forgiveness and healing in Jesus. Abortion, like other sins, is not the unpardonable sin. Only the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is the unpardonable sin. There are things that all of us, I believe, regret that we've done in our lives. And we wish we could go back and change things. We know we can't. And for a lot of us, that means we live in that guilt, shame, regret, and all that, but God doesn't want us to be there. That's not what how God sees things. God wants us to live in the freedom of his forgiveness because of what Jesus did. If 25% of women, if that statistic is true, and then let's not forget the men who maybe had a part in that or, or encouraged Their significant other to have an abortion, or or stood by while that was taking place, or for you know, so there's there's a lot of emotional trauma here. Okay, there is. This is a very real thing, and and we don't want to just kind of just blow it off and go, well, hey, just get over it. No, this is there's a a lot of emotional trauma that takes place when you stop to think of what's what's happened here. And I am thankful for the forgiveness of Jesus who forgives the sin, removes the guilt and the shame of our sins and not and all sins. So so let's kind of look at some scripture because I think this is ultimately what we need to hang on to in, in 1 John. It says, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, for he has rescued us. Speaking of Jesus, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That is amazing. Here's what it says. If you were to read that rest of the chapter, it would say this, that all of us, okay, all of us, before we knew Jesus, were actually part of this kingdom of darkness. Like unbeknownst to us, like we didn't even know. We were just going with the flow of what everybody else was doing. And we were following the the Bible says we were following the kingdom of this world, Satan himself. We didn't know it. We weren't, I don't don't know anybody that was like, I'm going to be a Satanist. We were just kind of going with the flow. And then Jesus rescued us. The Bible says he rescued us from the life where we were headed. And he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness where we were into the kingdom of light and forgave all of our sins. And this truth, listen, this truth, not just for abortion, but for any other thing we do, this is what the hope is of all believers. This is why we can lay our head down at night and say, no, man, I really messed up and I really did some things that I regret, but I don't have to live in that shame. I don't have to live feeling that I'm unforgiven that somehow that every night I've got to go back and say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. No, Jesus forgave me. And I can lay my head down on a pillow and know that I'm forgiven and I can sleep well. And I'm telling you, no matter what the sin is in your life, that's how you ought to feel because of what Jesus did. Had it not been for Jesus, we would all be be living in our sin and all be miserable. But here's a verse that you can hang on to, Romans 8. Verse 1, it says, so now, there is no condemnation. Everybody say that, no condemnation. One, two, three, no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. God God is not hanging on to that and going, man, I can't believe you did that. No, your sins are under the blood of Jesus. But I would, what I wanna do is I wanna end the service a little different, okay? Because I know we're, we've opened up a can of worms here. I understand that. I get it. I know there's some of you are just like, it's really been a very difficult time. I get it. And I want I don't wanna be insensitive. So here's what I'd like to do. And I just wanna do this for Pendleton as well. We'll have a moment of silence, okay? And I'm gonna explain that in just a second. And then, um, and then, and uh, then, before I pray I'm gonna just say tell you this and there's going to be a Pendleton campus will be the same way if if you need extra prayer today um, we'll have male and female people up here that would love to pray with you after the service if you're thinking no I, I, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that yeah we we can help you in other ways you if you contact the office we can either have a pastor get with you or we have some counselors we can refer you to, whatever you need. That's what we like to do. And so um, we'll leave that up to you, Pendleton. You'll have that same opportunity, but let's have a moment of silence, and then we'll pray, and then we'll close. But here's what the moment of silence. First of all, let's give a moment of silence for the 65 million children who have died through abortion. Let's have a moment of silence for our country. Let's have a moment of silence for all those who are grieving because of a mistake they made by having an abortion. Let's, uh, let's, let's just have a moment of, of silence and ask God to do something great in our country and really turn the hearts of our people toward God. And then I'll close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I know that this is a very painful message for a lot of people, but I'm praying, God, that today healing is occurring all over this room and all over uh, through online experiences. I pray, God, that your healing touch would comfort hearts, would heal brokenness, and would give hope. Thank you, Lord, that we're not defined by our mistakes. We're defined by who we are in Christ. We're forgiven 100%. Every sin, every sin is not only forgiven, but forgotten by you. So God, I pray for those who are wounded by the mistakes they've made. And I pray that God, that they would find healing in Christ where the healing, the only place healing can be found. God, I pray for those who maybe don't even know Jesus. And today, even though this message really wasn't geared toward that, but something triggered inside their heart and they recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And I believe that Jesus is the one and that he can remove me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ today. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross for me. And I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person. Thank you, God, for all that you do in our lives.